Chapter 22 Rebecca was in the quarantine cave when the Battle of Megadon Defile began. For weeks, she had watched Yalmoth's preparations. She had seen slanting bunkers quarried from the desert floor. She had watched Halside and Phyrexian guards training from the coming battle. She had seen the hordes of clockwork killers buried in the sand or hidden rank on rank in flanking regiments. Horrible destruction was coming, and she had not wanted to see it. Even down here, though, she heard it. A vast boom resounded through the deep cave. He's using my behemoths! Glaison's voice, long, unintelligible to anyone but his wife, was now almost too garbled even for Rebecca. The man's thysis had eased since Yawmoth removed the power stone sliver, but his mind had only worsened. The rupture deepened between the two halves of his psyche. His memory faded. Paranoia rose. Confusion and desperation tore him apart. They refused the power stone therapy that had healed the rest of the city. He refused even to enter Phyrexia, there to be tended. Instead, Glaison spent his hours alone in the dark quarantine cave, accompanied only by his power stone contraptions, a string of faithful goblins, and of course, his wife. Though she visited him every day, he often accused her of staying weeks away at a time. Today, it was a blessing that Glaison's paranoia had a different target than Rebecca. Another thunderous boom filled the chamber. Yamath is using my behemoths, Glaceon said. His face quivered in the gleam of the oil lantern Rebecca brought on her visits. The bastard! He's stolen every invention of mine, twisted it on his own ends. Rebecca heaved a wary sigh beneath the scarf that draped her mouth. With a gloved hand, she patted his arm. He's only defending the city, the Empire. He's destroying them. He's only defending himself. Your inventions are being put to good use. Scabber's fingers clutched her gloved hand. He stared up from shredded skin and powdering bone, out of the heart of mad despair. He's climbed inside of me, Rebecca. He's climbed inside of all of us. What are you talking about? She asked, pulling away. My mind. Those stones he has. What he calls a cure. He implants those stones and can see the minds of the people. Power stones absorb the character of a person. I believe that now. They take on the qualities of strong people. He reads our minds. He put one of his stones in me, too. Glaceon dragged back the blankets from the scar on his side. It was mounted and affected. Stitches like black spiders straight on the cut. He put a stone in here. Rebecca shook her head grimly. He took a power stone out of you. He didn't put one in. I watched him. He put one in. He uses it to ravage my mind. He takes my thoughts, my inventions, my dreams, and twists them. How else did he find out about the behemoths? Behemoths are hard to hide, Rebecca said. Yomoth has complete control of the mana rig. It's amazing he hadn't discovered them sooner. The mana rig. Yes. The mana rig. Listen, you lie here alone in the dark. Your mind is too brilliant to dwell in darkness. It's no wonder you come up with these beliefs about what is happening, but they aren't true. You listen. I've been afraid to tell you this. I've been afraid even to think. He's listening all the time, but he can't listen now. Not while he's fighting. So I tell you now. Don't tell Yamoth. Don't tell him what I'm about to say. Sighing in resignation, Rebecca said, What is it this time? The Thran Temple. You can take the people away in the Thran Temple. Every stone in that temple is a plane unto itself. It's not just a whole world. It's a whole multiverse. You could live there forever. Our people could survive. Our people will survive. Yamoth will win this war. Even if he doesn't, there is Phyrexia. No. Whoever goes there is changed, is destroyed. 
You can save the rest. You can take them away in the Thran Temple. Take them away? A control stone. Create a control stone. Just like the ones they moved from the sedan chairs. Create a control stone and mount it on the central altar of the temple. And you could fly it away from Haosan. Away from the war. From destruction. Rebecca could only stare, mouth dropping open in amazement. You could save our people, Rebecca. They could ascend, just as you always hoped. You could take them to heaven. Take them away from this hell. A new light had entered Rebecca's eyes. A blue and fragile light in the warm blanket of lamp glow. You know it can be done. You know it must be done. I know it can be done, Rebecca echoed distantly. Don't tell Yawmoth. No. Don't let him plant one of those stones in you. No. Promise me you'll do it. Promise me you'll make the control stone. Promise me you'll take our people away from here. No. Eyes distant in the black space. She stood, took a deep breath, and said, I have to go. There's a battle being fought. Yes. Go, Rebecca. Leave me, but save them. Save them. By the second day, most of the reserves were spent. The freshest Halcyte troops were wearied to the bone, not so Commander Gix and his Phyrexian warriors. They fought on despite wounds that would kill mere humans. Forward! Phyrexians exploded from the entrenchments. Gix ran with them. They were black and boiling masses. It seemed the old volcano was disgorging in a bubbling tide of lava. Their armor was scaly. Their helms ended in barbed horns. The articulate joints of their shoulder, elbow, thigh, and knee plates made them seem inhuman monsters. Isn't that what we are? The commander mused. It was merely an observation, not a condemnation. Yamoth had been right about everything. On a day long ago, he had forced Gix to accept the cure for Thysis, the power that lay in that cure. Perhaps Gix had died that day, the old Gix. But a new man was born, a new monster. He charged at the head of that surging company of Phyrexians. Gix held his head high, a head now a third larger than it had been. The change had been shortly after his Phyrexian heartstone had been implanted. Even as his skin grew healthy again, his tangled locks of hair had fallen out. Beneath it, skin and skull both had grown outward. The change at first had frightened him, but a voice within assured him there was nothing to fear. Skin and skull grew to allow his brain to grow as well. A newfound clarity of thought seemed to confirm this belief. Suddenly, the whole insane world would come clear to him. Even as his skull had settled into its current, straighted form, his mind had been settled to devotion to Yalmoth, his glimpse of the master's vision, his delight in his work. That simple clarity of purpose impelled his pickaxe cleanly into the head of a dwarf. The little barbarian trembled for a moment on the pick. It had punched through the top of the thing's head, like a snake's fan into an egg. The tip must have been lodged in the dwarf's spine to make it shudder like that. Gix lifted the pick, and the barbarian came up with it. No matter. Gix's arms were longer and stronger than they had been. With their bolting sheen and the thick stalks of their hair that jutted from them, they seemed almost the legs of a giant fly. Mid-strike, Gix gave the pickaxe a shake. Limp and bloody, the dwarf flopped stupidly off of it. Gix impatiently spun the haft and brought the axe down to kill another dwarf. Just like harvesting mushrooms, he shouted above the clamor. Smiles went up along the lines of Phyrexians. Smiles were their teeth and lips capable of drawing back from them. Some showed their appreciation only by poking their picks into more dwarf heads, just like mushrooms, soft and white, with that satisfying little thub when the spike penetrated the cap. Then there were no more dwarves. They lay in the messy room behind them. Blood came from one end and a similar substance from the other. Barbaric. They couldn't even die well. 
These little mushroom men. The human warriors beyond at least provided more sport. They yelled and scuttled. Landed a few swings. Dodged a bit better. They were more like albino cockroaches in the deep caverns. Hard to catch. Hard to kill. But not particularly dangerous. The way to kill cockroaches, at least ones you weren't planning on eating, was to simply squash them. Gix won his body-laden pickaxe with one arm, bashing two humans to the ground. He wielded his dagger with the other. A slash toward the mouth was always good with a dagger. That way, if the foe tried to duck, he would get his eye sliced open like a pair of grapes. Gix was strong enough to do that. A slice entering one's temple, severing the nasal bones and exiting the other temple. If the foe tried to leap, he would get his throat. If the foe came straight on, as in the current case, Gix cut the man's mouth open from ear to ear. It wouldn't be a debilitating injury for a truly warlike race. But humans were amazingly unwilling to fight on just their jaws hung limp beneath severed muscles. This warrior, for instance, looked at his bloody smile and the lower lip quivering across the voice box. See how he falls to his knees and buries what used to be a face in his hands. If a Phyrexian were cut like that, he continued to fight on, wearing a permanent grin. Commander Gix battled onward, admiring the soldiers with him. They were beautiful. Large heads, wide eyes, rigid noses, tusks, chin horns, pointed ears, and they fought beautifully. One woman sank tiger-like claws into a human's breast and ripped its torso wide open. One man, who had lost his sword hand, stabbed with the slice end of his own radius and ulna bones. One child, he must have been no more than ten when implanted, leapt agilely from shoulder to shoulder, biting chunks out of heads as though he were biting apples. Beautiful. Yarmouth had done more to transform the Thran race than anyone before him. It was as though humanity had been only the pupae form, soft and weak and ugly, of this new species of creatures. The humans soon were eaten through as well. Gix and his band of Phyrexians had slain thousands, perhaps losing ten of their own. A hundred to one kill ratio. Truly, these creatures were no more than pupae. Forward! Gix shouted. To the defile! A third day dawned the Thran Phyrexian War. In the city, the sounds of battle were drowned beneath the cheers of the people. They lined the eastern walls, crowding every elevation that gave view of the battlefield below. They filled every balcony and overlook of the Thran Temple. Crystals sent their images outward in minute rainbows. It was as though the gods themselves stared avidly at the battle below. Yet these gods said nothing truly. They saw all from a distance. They saw Phyrexian strength and success without seeing Phyrexian grotesque and savagery. For the citizens of Haosan, the war had become a faraway spectacle, a carnival in literal sense, a feast of flesh. The crowd watched with hushed apprehension. Whenever a Thran ship went down, whether by a ray cannon blast or raking light by the mirror rays, the crowd cheered. Each new surprise of Yalmas brought more hurrahs. Sand crabs, hidden armies, behemoths, Phyrexian warriors. Each brought stouts of hope, cheers, and even laughter from the Halcytes. The sound echoed mockingly in Rebecca's ear. She stood at the highest point of the Thran temple. This parapet was not open to the public, was in fact not even part of the original design. It had been added to allow the builders easy access to the matrix of the power stones that made up the temple's roof. Now Rebecca stood here, alone, watching the bloody viciousness unfold. The Halcyte fleet had already drowned more than 200 of the enemy caravels, which lay in the smoldering ruins across the desert floor. Many of the ships had imploded on impact. Their power stone cores cracked, sucking in the matter to fill the void. In this case, matter meant meat, human, dwarf, elf, minotaur, Bayashino. How many thousands have been sucked away into nothingness? Not even their bodies left to litter the desert? Thousands more did litter the ground. Even from this great height, 
More than 1,500 feet above the desert floor, those bodies in the dark spreading stains from heads and bellies were unmistakable. Most were Thran. Many were Halcytes. A few were even Phyrexians. It didn't seem to matter how many fell. Yalmoth's war machine rolled onward, grinding bones to meal. A feast of flesh. The crowd gabbled it up. Rebecca overheard folk pledge to join Phyrexian ranks. They saw Phyrexian power and prowess, not Phyrexian mutation. No one wanted to be left behind. All wanted to be improved by Yalmoth, elevated by him. The temple's tangled spectra suddenly were infused by a huge glare. Something vast moved among the distant folds of mountain. It gleamed like a diamond and rolled like quicksilver. It was enormous. A ball of quintessence? No. A ball of metal. It did not roll, but floated among the peaks, heading straight for the battle. What are you doing, Yamoth? Rebecca wondered. She blinked, at last making out the strange things she saw. The Null Sphere! She had helped Glaceon design the enormous broadcast station. Rebecca herself had innovated the light of metal beams, but she never had intended it to fly. It was to stay rooted to the ground, drawing power from it and channeling it out to every artifact creature in the Empire. Oh no! Even from this height, the carnage was plain. As the Null Sphere rose moonlike over the battlefield, the tide of Thran artifact engines turned, no longer beating back Phyrexians. The Thran machines joined them and attacked their own forces. Thran bled and died and were trampled into the earth. Those who yet lived retreated in terror toward Megate and Defile. It would give them no escape, of course. Yamoth permitted no escape. A cheer rose from the crowd within the temple. Victory! 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 The battle soon would be finished. The Thran would be finished as well. They were in full wrap below, running back toward the distant Phonon. Even the remaining Thran war caravels were fleeing before the Halcyte fleet. The Null Sphere hovered balefully above it all. Something dropped from the belly of the huge sphere, falling into the center of Megane and Defile, into the center of the retreating army. For a moment, the valley stood there, a crooked wound that cut away into rankling mountains. Then the walls of the defile leapt upward. Something milky and white oozed from the center of that wound and flooded both directions down its length. The whiteness overflowed the edges of the defile and seeped out and down adjacent valleys and crevices. It poured from the mouth of the defile onto the desert floor. Pearly clouds engulfed the rear guard of the Thrain and rolled toward the Phyrexian troops. The white wave overtook many of them, sweeping them under an opaque cloud. At last, the milky flood paused, lingering in a malignant semicircle across the center of the desert. All talk in the temple had gone silent. Only battle sounds came. In the final lip of the sound before the blast was heard, there came a faint of ubiquitous scream. The roaring boom shook the temple as though it were a glass wind chime. Noise pounded every breastbone. Every citizen went to his or her knees. None were left standing. Even as Rebecca fell, she knew this was Yalmoth's stone charger. This was the weapon he had worked so hard to perfect. The device merely charged a power stone by sucking the life form from the land all around it. In a single stroke, Yalmoth had slain the entire Thran army. Take the sphere higher. Yalmoth ordered his artificer crew in the command corps. Away from that killing cloud. The huge bulk of the Null Sphere lurched upward. Phyrexians, Halcyte, and Artificer steadied themselves. Redirect the sphere's mana pumps. Draw mana from that cloud. It is pure energy. Draw it away, before it destroys everything. One of the artificers asked, What shall we do with that much raw power? It will overload the mana batteries. Send it out. Send it to every Thran artifact engine in the Empire. Shut them down. Even for the old man, this was too much. Lives will be lost. Thousands of innocent civilians won't rely on artifact engines. 
miners and loggers and fishers. Do it, and be glad I do not ask you to turn those machines against their owners. Yama's mood seemed to soften. It is only temporary. Only until the Thran Alliance sues for peace and recognizes me as the true emperor. Then, all the devices will be reactivated. Then I will have a much greater use for this mana energy. My artificers will rig a channel by which mana power can be shunted from Dominaria directly into Phyrexia. They will draw off killing clouds from the world above and use them to build my world below. For forgive my interruption, Lord Yawmoth, the old man said. But I have grave news. What is it? Fingers rushed across the power stones in the arms of the command chair. The artificer said, Our new altitude has given us greater range for visual scan. I've just now picked them up, perhaps a hundred miles out. Picked up what? Two more fleets of Thran ships. Two more invading armies. <laughs>